This episode is brought to you by Portland Distro. If you like underground music, movies, and more, go to portlanddistro.com for licensed merch, vinyl, CDs, and more. Plug in the discount code 10 off T E N O F F for a 10% discount at portlanddistro.com. What's up, friends? It's time for Everything Went Black. This week, we have Jay Gambit from Executioner's Mask. I literally just discovered these guys when I was on tour this past month. Listen to this record, as well as a couple others I discovered, pretty much every day, man, after I heard it for the first time. Turns out that uh, Jay and I were connected via social media. Yeah, it was really cool. He was an awesome guest, awesome band. There is a show coming up, and if you're in the greater New York area, Executioner's Mask will be playing at St. Vitus in the next few weeks. That's great news. Before I get started, I just want to give a shout out to the other four horsemen of the podcasting apocalypse. Of course, that is Brandon Legion of the Horror Wolf 666 podcast, Jackie Smith of Into the Necrosphere, and of course, Mike Scandato and Jeff Kashid, my co-hosts at Necromaniacs. So pretty much, we have the entire week covered for everybody. Yeah, how you been, man? I've been doing okay. Uh, you know, I just got back from tour about two weeks ago, and uh, this this is like uh, the first week where I've felt, um, you know, productive and kind of like back as a member of society and that kind of thing. Hell yeah. Yeah. Actually, that's where I discovered you guys was on tour. Really? Yeah. Uh, We were in Albuquerque and we were barbecuing with a friend. And, um, you know, it was one of these deals where we got to town early because we wanted to see the uh, Sepultura uh, Cavalera, you know, you know, that set that they did of the old Sepultura songs. So we we were there. We're hanging out with our buddy. And barbecuing, and it was uh, during the day, and he's like just you know playing all these like records, and he's like, yeah, yeah, you like this kind of stuff, right? You know, you're into this. He's like playing me all this stuff. The Executioner's Mask record, Despair Anthems. He played me that, and uh, I was like, this is like exactly what I like. <laughs> oh hell yeah! Yeah, so oh, I'm um, so glad. Yeah, yeah, and I was like, he had it on vinyl, and. Um, you know, we if we were he was gonna take me to this record store. He's like, yeah, you could probably score this on vinyl at this store, but uh, we just didn't have time to do that. And uh, you know, so then I was just streaming it, and um, it became one of the records that I played on. We had so many overnight drives on this tour, so I I always like to hit that first shift, like from one a.m. to like five, you know, right before the sun comes up. You know what I mean? So. Uh, I would play that record, you know, drive through the night. It was like the perfect, you know, soundtrack for that. I had that record. I had uh, a bunch of other things queued up that I listened to, like The Soft Moon was another thing I listened to, uh, Twin nice. Tribes, Lebanon Hanover. That was, yes. uh, yeah, that was those, another thing. Yeah. Those guys are great. Yeah, yeah, totally. So that's, that's the stuff I would listen to when we drove. And then, uh, you know, so it made sense. When I did the wrap-up episode for the tour 
on on this podcast. I was like, you know what? Let me, let me throw this song in there. And it's so cool that you and I linked up over that. You know, you just happen to be listening to it. It's like, wow, like uh, mutual admiration. It was really cool. Yeah, dude. I mean, I've been a fan of, of your your music for a while. Um, you know, like what I, I'm a huge fan of uh, kind of the more industrial experimental realm of things i've been doing i have a project called crowhurst yeah that I've, I've, I've been doing weird shit with for a while and so like tombs and stuff that that's like right up my alley so yeah i mean it's definitely like like with with despair anthems we I, I did not expect anyone to even hear that record um you know we certainly didn't think that profound lord would be down to put it out so it's uh it was a real joy and it's a real joy to know that people you know dig these songs and the new record was really like the because we didn't think that anyone was going to hear despair anthems um it was a very different approach than with the new record um and now i think that we've got like kind of we got that kind of big dreamy record out of our systems we're making another kind of like another different kind of record that isn't that isn't despair anthems and it isn't winter long like it isn't the kind of very succinct songwriting from uh, despair anthems and it isn't the big kind of like big super produced uh very theatrical almost uh record that like winter long is we're working on something that's almost like a like bardo pond or something oh, wow. like that cool yeah i i really well, like uh I, well actually i can see the dif- difference between winter long and despair anthems and like uh some of the reflections i have on winter long is that it almost it, yes it is more expansive but there's this kind of a, a bluesy element to it that reminds me of uh like uh, Bane Wolfkind or something like that. You know that guy? Yes. I love Bane Wolfkind. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we're on the same page. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah. The the roots, uh, there's a lot of neo-folk roots in Winterlong, I think, just based in the fact that, like, where, where I come from in terms of my songwriting, just always tend, like, people are always like, well, this sounds a lot like swans. Um and I think it's just from years of listening to, you know, Michael Girard, listening to Of the Wand and Moon, um, you know, Death in June, uh, Bane Wolfkind, that kind of, uh, you know, Saul Invictus, all that, that really kind of weird neo-folk stuff that, you know, I guess it's all so European. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Like it's in even in listing all of those bands, it's like you know the if you're trying to think about any American traits in it, it would always come back to this kind of Americana, which I don't think is reflective of what an American sound is. You know, it's I think what I've always kind of aimed for. I think at least with with some of three, you know, that Crowhurst record and definitely with like the, the mask stuff is 
what you know kind of exploring the idea of what an american neofolk would be you know in in the it maybe isn't you know the michael Girard kind of american neofolk which i think is more steeped in americana but more of a modern american sound which i think honestly is much more lush and dreamy and is farther and farther away from you know kind of the desert country you know rootsy elements i mean they're there but i think there's a lot of lushness in what i at least my interpretation of an american sound is that isn't really represented so i think that that was my thing with winter long was like you know the taking what i love about like you said like the bane wolf kind swans and pushing it into realms that maybe those artists didn't take their songs um and at least for me that was this kind of dreamy romantic place uh, which was also a huge challenge for me because I've never written anything that wasn't like bleak and miserable. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so, yeah I mean, like Despair Anthems is very nihilistic for sure. Yeah, I, I thought, you know, it, it's cliche, but The Cure. Um, I'm a huge fan of pornography. I think pornography is one of the greatest records of all time. But pornography and disintegration are two sides of the same coin you know the porno pornography is dark and nihilistic and you know kind of um, it's a it's a bad trip whereas you know disintegration is this kind of beautiful lush trip you know with that's equally dark but it's a it's a whole different thing and I think Winter long was my attempt at trying to push myself into more of that romantic disintegration kind of place. It's interesting that you say that because, um, you know, like I've only, it's only been since like May that I've been listening to you guys. And uh, I've been like listening to it a lot. As a matter of fact, one day I listened to Despair Anthems twice. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. When I, I was, listened to it while we were driving. And then when we got to, uh, I think, Sioux Falls. Uh, I listened to it while I was walking around looking for coffee. So, uh, so yeah. So I listened to that record twice. So I'm familiar with that one. I'm also familiar with you know Winterlong, and there is a very distinct difference. And I, I I wasn't going to arrive at the same conclusion, but since you brought that up about disintegration versus um, pornography, that is a very apt analogy for those two records, definitely. Thank you. I mean, like, I, I'm a huge record collector. That was probably why I, the move was so shitty for me. It was because it's like I've got like 15,000 records. <laughs> yeah, dude, I, I hear you, man. <laughs> so it's like, but that that's the whole the whole joy of of uh, making music for me stems from being a big fan of you know all these bands, and I guess I always feel like every time I make a record, it's kind of like you get to cosplay all the elements of music that you enjoy, or at least that's, that's how I, I take it, you know, Sure. Yeah. Uh, for like, cause I, I don't know. I don't 
as as weird as it is to say, I barely consider myself a musician. I consider I consider myself a person who is is a big fan of music and who's very lucky to work with a lot of real musicians you know like like my guitarist is fucking you know both of my guitarists are incredible you know christian is an insane talent melissa is an incredible drummer like frog is an incredible drummer i have not worked with somebody who is not like stupid level talented and because of that these records are really you know it's because of that the records are as good as they are it's not because of really anything i do it's just that i know i guess as a fan of music it it kind of is a joy for me to be able to assemble these musicians i love and you know help you know bring ideas to fruition the you know I, I think okay well i like this on this record i like this concept on that record maybe we can maybe we can do something like this here you know or or, or do a, a song that kind of has this energy but place it in this context you know like but it it all stems from just being a fan of these records and you know in these bands and these stories and just wanting to do you know i guess wanting to do something like that yeah that that's that's definitely something that comes through for sure now before we get going too far all right i did some research on you guys and there's like three names that come up okay and i want to talk about who's actually in the band because i've seen pictures with like five people in the, in the photograph, but I've only been able to find like three names that are actually members of the band. So, okay, who's in the band? Uh, uh, How did it form? Who does what? Like all the all those basics. I want to cover that. So it it's weird. Um, so the band formed basically because um, I'm friends with uh, Ryan Wilson, who's legendary, like everything i want to say legendary death metal dude but you know they that would be selling them short because they've also got like grindcore and they've got the howling boy they've got so many great projects um and we've been friends for a while and they you know we've talked about doing a project together since we've worked on tracks together and uh i think they just made a, a facebook status being like i'm currently not working on anything who wants to start a band Oh, so okay. <laughs> it was like, okay, well, let's start a post-punk band. And Ryan wasn't like a post-punk fan or anything, but they were down to explore the genre. And that was, that was it, you know, Ryan. And uh, then I introduced Craig to the group and we worked on a couple of songs and made uh, the True Blue EP. That one I haven't listened to yet. I haven't um, gotten to that one yet, but that's uh, that's something I have to check out. Well, if you've heard Despair Anthems, basically the True Blue EP plus the second EP we wrote turned into Despair Anthems because we had the True Blue EP, which was put out by a label called Somatic in Austin, and they put out the first uh, stuff by Street Sex. Oh, yeah, that band's cool. I like them. 
they're incredible. Um, and they they actually remixed um, a song from Winterlong. Um, but Somatic put out True Blue, and then we recorded an EP. I think it was called Funeral Gardens. I'm not quite sure. And um, I sent it to a label called Funeral Party. And I love them. And they put out amazing stuff. And they were not interested in putting it out. And I totally understand. And I was like, well, I don't know what to do with this project then. Because I didn't, I was like, I don't know any post-punk labels. Um and I remember saying to the label, I'm like, well, if you don't put this out, like, I guess I was like, do you know anybody that might want to put it out? Because, like, I don't know what to do with this. Um, and the project kind of almost died then. But um, I sent a message to Chris and I didn't think Chris was even going to be into it um, or even respond. But I think I think I sent a message to Chris over Facebook and said hey look you know here's this project here's you know the, I, I combined the true blue ep in the ep we just sent and i was like this is the record um you know a uh, tentative name for it is despair anthems you know what do you think and chris loved it so i was like i can't believe this but profound lore is putting out our record and I don't think Chris, uh, I mean, I don't think Craig or Ryan believed me. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's profound. Lore is a great label. I, I, I'm a big fan of most of the stuff that he puts out. Um, first of all, it's, tr it's tremendous that Bruni responded because uh, he has not answered an email of mine for several years. And I've been trying to uh, connect him with other bands that I think he'd be interested with, but he just doesn't respond. So that's cool that he got back to you. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't think he was gonna respond to me. I, I I don't think I don't think I do anything particularly uh, special. So it's like <laughs> I don't know why anybody would open up my email. Uh, but I think uh, you know I'm very very thankful he did. I'm very yeah. thankful that he listened to it, and you know we were all stoked. And then the record came out, and it was like people really liked it, you know? Um, but the, the issue was, um, playing it live. So now, now that's because you got, you know, program drums, you know, two guitar players. I mean, I'm, I'm the, uh, I know that you, you don't really have like a, a performing band with the core of the three people that you have. Is that why there was a challenge doing this live? You had to, you know, get other people involved. Yeah, I mean, not only that, but, like, Ryan doesn't play live. Uh, as a rule, Ryan's a studio musician. So it it is, like, it all has to kind of be rebuilt from the ground up, um, which is fine, but it requires a little bit of engineering. So um, with the live shows, I... At first, we had a, a little lineup that was going to do something, and then, of course, COVID happened, and things needed to be restructured. But fortunately, Craig is an incredible band leader um, and just pulled together 
this really, really, really tight lineup of Houston musicians. Um, one of them is Daniel from Monochrome Lover. Um, Melissa, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce her last name, but she's in a bunch of bands. Um, you know, Daniel, uh, Tony is in a band called Thunder Tank and a bunch of other projects. Like, everybody's at a ton of heavy hitting projects and they all kind of <clears throat> jump together and learn these songs from uh, winter long <clears throat> and despair anthems in very short amount of time. So we recently went on tour and it was incredible, but that's why that lineup is different. Um, we also added uh, my friend and one of my favorite like composers, Christian uh, Molinar, and he, or they uh, are just kind of an incredible, not only an incredible musician, but an incredible live musician. And I didn't know, I didn't know how much energy they brought to a live set, but they really crushed it just playing synth. So, you know, I, I think altogether it, it brings an entirely different energy. So for album three, the live lineup is, you know, we're all writing the record. Oh, cool. That's it's, great. Yeah. It's, it's great because, you know, it also, where, where Despair Anthems was written with, you know, oh, well, I guess we're just going to write some songs. And then Winterlong was like, all right, we're going to write an album. Um, you know, and craft an album. And now this one is very much like we're a band who's going to jam out an album. They're just very different approaches to writing the record. And I think that, I don't know, it, it post-punk is a, a weird genre to me. And I get bored really quickly within it. Like, it's hard for me to listen to three post-punk records in a row by the same band and not feel like I'm listening to the same record, you know, kind of in different clothing. And that's no, there's no like shot in any specific band, more kind of uh, a pitfall of the genre itself being something that's so deeply rooted in nostalgia. Right. So my, my, thought was like if we approach each record differently you know with Crowhurst I, I was like well with every record we're going to have a different lineup and a different producer and a different you know you know different everything so everything is going to be completely different and with Despair Anthems it's slightly more subtle but it's still kind of taking different approaches every single time so that way I know we arrive at a different destination. You know, it's like it's like if you're trying to drive cross country and it's like three people driving cross country, one person takes a Lamborghini, the other person takes a Hummer, and the other person takes a bike. <laughs> you know, like they if they're if they're traveling for long enough and hard enough, they'll all get to the same destination, but it'd be a very different journey. Yeah, one one of the things that you touched on, which I I also believe is, uh, you know, post punk, you know, whatever you want to call it, is definitely like this almost nostalgic by the numbers thing, 
And a lot of bands that try to work within that genre end up making records that are definitely very similar. Not only are they similar, but you can also go back and pick out what records they might have been listening to to inspire the stuff that they wrote. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, where you guys succeed, in my opinion at least, is that, yeah, you know, I hesitate to even call it post-punk. You know what I mean? Like, I know that that's the easy, uh, you know, moniker to tag you guys with, but it's just like uh, I listen to it and I'm like, okay, here's this part that, but it's very unique. I guess that's a roundabout way of saying to me that I feel like the band is very unique. And then furthermore, between the two records, the two records are very different too. Like even your, even your vocals sound different somewhat. Thank you. I, I, uh, so I'm a big fan of negative reviews or like, <laughs> have you gotten many of those? Uh, with, well, with despair anthems, the overarching thing I heard is like, man, he sounds bored. <laughs> and like, I get it. Like I listen to quite a bit of post-punk where I'm like, this vocalist sounds like he, they just fucking rolled him out of bed. Sometimes it seems like they didn't even roll his ass out of bed. Yeah, It's yeah. just like <laughs> they put a fucking, you know, gamer mic on the dude and was like, all right, go. <laughs> go what's the least enthusiasm you could possibly have for being in this band express it you know um so i i thought with despair anthems i thought that i was i was emoting um but i guess i wasn't and you know that pushed me to be even more theatrical on winter long um and kind of take some risks and i i had asked jeff to it was like can you double track and jeff was kind of like i really don't want to and i was like i would really like to double track and they were like all right so they did it and it sounded great and uh i'm glad they did and they made it you know i i don't know if uh i i'm sure it would have sounded great if we had single tracked it because jeff rules but I'm not that confident. <laughs> so we double tracked. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I'm self, con- uh, I'm very con- uh, self-conscious about how I sing anyway. Well, I think every, so, everyone is really about that, you know? Yeah. I, I'm like, I'm glad that everyone is. Cause I know I am. And uh, I think with like, with, the with the more intense like the screaming vocals and stuff like that i feel a little bit more confident but on songs like wasting away i I legitimately thought like i'm gonna put this record out and there are gonna be a bunch of people who are like oh great like it sounds like a fucking dying cat on the last track you know dude can't stay on key at all (laughs) and uh fortunately i haven't heard any of that which is really nice so it's like okay cool maybe you know maybe the singing thing you know maybe i can do more of that i think you know that all of that really even started with like on the first on crowhurst one i did a song there was a song uh on there called judgment i believe and um when we were all writing it together the band was i think they wanted it to be a quiet part 
I, I may be misremembering this. It may be confusing two different songs, but I think the band wanted it to be a quiet part, and I didn't. So I was like, the compromise was that I would sing it. And in one of the reviews, um, Joseph Schaefer, who runs Northwest Terror Fest, um, said that it, I sounded like Andrew Eldritch. And I was oh, like, okay. yeah, I was like, oh, that's really cool. Um, so I just kept singing <laughs> it was like someone someone noticed and said something positive and uh you know and there happened to be a person who reviews i uh i respect and opinions i respect so i was like all right well if this person who i respect says that i you know my singing isn't bad i'm gonna keep singing and i think that led to me singing on you know two and even more on three and then eventually you know despair anthems which is nothing but singing and then winter long which i think is really you know me attempting to actually sing um so i'm, I'm glad yeah i'm glad that the that the different vocal stylings didn't come off too uh alien no, no, it was definitely welcome, man. Because I, like, like I said, I really, you know, I mean, in my own creative output, I try not to have each record sound the same, and um, you know, I try to do different things, and I, I appreciate when bands also do that. Whether I mean, go back to the Swans, like how many different types of records have the Swans made? You know what I mean? And um, oh yeah, yeah, just so many different textures and and approaches and experimental things, and you know acoustic you know grinding the early grinding you know misanthropic stuff that they did in the beginning you know oh um, yeah well yeah. That, that that stuff i mean like i i've always loved michael jarrah's kind of infinite ability to kind of transform as an artist and i think i would hope that when I get to the point in my life that Michael Jarrah's at, that I can look back on the records that I've made and have that kind of, have at least a, even a tenth of, uh, you know, what Michael Jarrah has done in terms of the, the amount of different, you know, the, basically the palette they've touched, you know, how much, they've managed to touch upon in terms of sounds and moods and ideas and emotions that they've conveyed in their art. Yeah. yeah. Crowhurst has been around for a while. And oh. uh, you guys have like all sorts of stuff out between like LPs, EPs, collaborations, like all that stuff. Is that still an active project that you're working on? Um, it's active in the sense that as long as I'm alive, I will. The project is gonna be sort of active. Okay. But I mean, I'm I'm working on some film score stuff right now. Right on. Um, yeah, it, it's a wise person once said, "You can't miss something until it goes away." And I don't know if the project is worth missing until uh, I put it away and focus on other things. Um, you know, I, I've got a complex emotional relationship with the project that is so deeply tied to a lot of pain 
and a lot of frustration, um, and a lot of negativity. You know, that's a, it, it's hard to go over a lot of what I went, it, it, you know, like I, I didn't fake it with Crowhurst. And I think that the problem with committing to not faking it when you're working with pain is that you open the wound all the time. And on a very good night, you're still left bleeding. And on a bad night, you're left bleeding alone. Um, and that's just, it, it was at a certain point I had bled out and I, and there was nothing, you know, nothing left for me to pump out. Um, especially after the pandemic, it, it seemed like the right time for me to focus on something that wasn't so brutal. Um, and you know, that's not to say I, I don't, I wouldn't be open to touring with Crowhurst again and playing more shows. Um, and I hear now more than ever, truly more than ever <laughs> now that it's gone. I'm hearing from people being like, yeah, you know, Crowhurst X, Y, and Z, and seeing Crowhurst shirts, I love the project, you know, um, and I, I'm used to being a person in a basement playing noise to four people at a time where really, you know, noise wasn't even considered extreme music. It was considered something different. It was like considered performance art. And the idea of putting noise on a metal show or grind show was like, you know, something that like old heads were like, oh, yeah, I remember when, you know, noise bands would come through from Japan and they would play like Zenigiva. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. But like, if you were like a, like a younger noise promoter or a younger metal promoter, you weren't putting a noise band on your show. You were like, no, that's going to scare away people who want to hear riffs. Where are your guitars? I once had a promoter say, well, you can do your noise set, but can you hold a guitar while you do it? <laughs> and I was like, I'm not going to use the guitar. And they're like, yeah, but can you hold the guitar? Because we know that if people don't see you holding the guitar, they're going to be alienated. That's weird, man. Yeah, I mean, it's weird, but it's also like, that's what I'm, you know, that was really, this This is going to sound sort of weird, but like this, that was the pre-Full of Hell kind of era where it was like before Full of Hell and the body were like taking noise acts out and forcing promoters to fucking book noise bands because ultimately if they didn't they wouldn't get the fucking big draw grind act or doom act that they wanted to put on so they were like all right we're gonna we're gonna you know integrate these noise bands well it's like after that you started seeing a change you started in 2015 2016 2017 it was like everybody knew noise but i i don't like I'm still stuck in the mindset of it's like 2014, 2013, and I'm standing inside a fucking metal club trying to explain to some promoter that like, no, noise is a real thing that like 
metalheads will enjoy <laughs> if they if you just give them a chance. Like ha- having to explain, like, no, I just went overseas, and in England, they're upset that I'm not playing for longer than fifteen minutes, and over here, you're acting like if I play longer than ten minutes, you're gonna cut the fucking sound on me. So <laughs> it's like, what? What's the disconnect? Um, so yeah, like I don't. Um, now that I've shown the chip on my shoulder, uh, like when I think about Crowhurst, I don't think about it in, I guess, the terms that I think a lot of people do. So I don't know when it comes to returning it. Um, I'm hoping that some of the larger bands that are coming back now that are my buds um they've said that they might want to do some shows together i would be more than happy to you know dust off the the crowhurst name for a couple of shows with those groups but if not like you know life goes on <laughs> i've got masks well yeah definitely uh so what's up with uh fuck you dave grohl I, I, I want to hear about that because I, I, I have feelings about Dave Grohl. <laughs> um, so the, there was a back, I think 2011, um, I had made a record called Fuck You Morrissey. And it was just um, like, it was before like Morrissey had gone viral for saying more dumb shit. I think it was just a situation where I had gotten a dumb haircut and it people were saying that I look like Morrissey (laughs) (laughs) and I was very upset about it. Um, and I was like, yeah, fuck that guy. And you know, I, I had known all the terrible things that he had said, the terrible, like horror, you know, the anti-Semitic stuff and the racist stuff. The, 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 there, that wasn't even the thing that like was the biggest impetus as terrible as to say, there was actually an article that some BBC person had written about they were like Morrissey's, they had gone to be Morrissey's roadie and like, they were like a lifelong Morrissey fan and they had, you know, like Morrissey's, they they tried to do some sort of interview with Morrissey and it was turned down. And then right before the tour, like a week before, um, Morrissey's crew had said, okay, you know, you can come on tour with Morrissey, but you got to do all these weird things. Like, you know, um, he came into the room and they were like, he had to like guess a couple of records, some sort of super pretentious stuff. And like Morrissey sprays a fragrance spray between him and the front row. So he doesn't need to smell his audience. Oh man. Really? (laughs) And then like right before the tour was about to start, he gets the roadie is asked by the crew to uh you know please leave the tour so he didn't actually end up being a roadie morrissey morrissey kicked him off the tour before he it even started and i was like this is the most spinal tap level of douchebaggery i've ever read um so on you know with the racist stuff and the pretentious stuff i was like this dude is a cartoon this dude is a legitimate cartoon. I can't think of a better better topic 
for a harsh noise record because also I, at the same time, what was going on in the harsh noise world was there was, it was like everybody was trying to top each other with how extreme and gross and violent they could be. Right. Um, Misogynistic. That was also yeah. another another angle that people were using in that world too. Yeah, like misogynistic, racist, and it was like I made that album snuff because I was literally like, "Okay, you want ugliness? There's an ugly record. It's very, very ugly, and it's hard to listen to, and it should be hard to listen to because the things that you're talking about are ugly as fuck, and it should be painful and disgusting, and you know." Like when you strip away all of the, all of the kind of exploitation and all of the, the aestheticizing it, it's just horror and misery and disgustingness and nothing you would want to actually, you know, relive. But you know, it's used as a topic but that that's not the fuck you morrissey was like okay well here's my reaction to the these kind of like ultra extreme topics and noise this is what i feel ultra extreme about fuck morrissey um and people really like that record so it turned into well, when I made another record that kind of felt like the sequel to that, it was like, fuck you, Beatles. Right. Or, yeah. no, yeah, it was like, or fuck you, Bono was another one. Oh, yeah, that was another one, too. Yeah, fuck you, Bono. Yeah. Well, the, the final one was fuck you, Dave Grohl. <laughs> and that, um, that's gotten me in trouble. So there is a, there is a writer for, or I guess now they're, they're no longer a writer. They're, uh, a much more important person in the music industry and I made them very upset because they're a very big Dave Grohl fan and um, I guess there was a situation where like Dave Grohl was being a douchebag in some historic theater and he uh, kicked a beer over onto some fucking really nice powered JBL speaker that I know wasn't his and he hurt his leg and oh yeah he slipped on it he yeah and then he poured spilled beer all over a speaker and then slipped on the beer and broke his leg and it was like that's a real story yeah it's a real it's on video (laughs) oh wow and there was a it it was like a viral video and that he and then to make matters worse he went on the the rest of his tour in a fucking throne so oh my god throne so, it, it, needless to say, he, it wasn't like the dude didn't deserve to be made fun of. Um, but I was like, you know, dude fucking deserves it for spilling beer all over some poor venue's fucking really nice powered JBL speakers. Um, and then they got really upset at me. And I think that that spurred the whole fuck you Dave Grohl thing. I also really wanted to work with Olivia Sewell, who does the comic Suckville. Um, and they did the cover and 12, it's like a 12 page PDF comic that comes with the download of the album. And it's like a comic about how Dave Grohl is a piece of shit. <laughs> like, there's like one that's uh, like, like a, it, yeah, basically a continuation of the cover. 
where it's like, you know, we miss you, Kurt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I um, yeah, there's something about Dave Grohl I just don't like either, man. I, you know, he pops up too much in documentaries. I don't. He seems completely fucking boring, if you ask me. Um, yeah, I know he was in Scream. You know, who cares, really? Um, I don't care that he was in Scream. And uh, yeah, and he's mediocre, man. You know, and that, he strikes me as a cop. Yeah, I could see. Yeah, he has like a little bit of that authoritarian vibe because of the way that I understand that he makes records. Apparently, I, I how does he make records? Because that's the one thing I don't know about. Him. Well, apparently, it's the Dave Grohl show. You know, well, that surprised me. Yeah, but I, I mean, mean, like we were talking about collaboration earlier with with uh, you know, the new Executioner's Mask efforts. And this guy's got all these musicians, you know, and um, it's it's the Dave Grohl show through and through. That's so strange, like, because he plays. I know that the first Foo Fighters record, he played everything. And, yeah. like, I don't think that he is, like, someone who would not have the talent to do everything. It's just, like, dude, lay, you know, like, lay out let somebody else fucking play like i don't know it's it's like the whole like john coltrane miles davis playing together thing yeah where it's like you know lay out man let somebody else fucking play <laughs> it's it's the, the the sheer hubris i think that he has which really gets under my skin with him you know and uh and i think that's why i take jabs at him whenever I can. And there was that ridiculous, uh, well, actually the series that he did, I think it was on HBO. Yeah. Like, uh, Sonic Highways. Sonic Highways. <laughs> like if he wasn't in the documentaries, it would, they would have been cool. Like he goes to, you know, all these different studios or if he would just chill out for a little bit and not put his band all over it and have to record a song and show them writing lyrics and all this stuff. Like bingo, that, dude. That, bingo. That, if he could just like be the journalist, you know, and not he be the focal point and, and put the focus on the actual content, the actual subjects. And I like, think that's really what, what soured me to that guy. Like, tr like watching those. Jack White used to be like that, and then I guess he got the memo where it was like Jack White had to be the center of everything, and then he realized it was like we care a lot more when everything isn't the Jack White show. Yeah. So it was like he he just went back to like we're dressing like a normal human being and wearing like – and, you know, being like, yeah, we're going to save Detroit. We're going we're gonna to press records again. It's going to be great. Music is great. And like now he's he has more money than like like he's he's got more money than most people in the music industry and he deserves it. Like but I, I feel like I don't know, like you know, there's no chance that Dave Grohl is gonna fucking get any more self aware than he currently is. I think that's the thing. Like you said, that Sonic Highways thing where it was like, if yeah, if it didn't have Dave Grohl in it, it'd be amazing. But it'd also be like 14 minutes long. Yeah. Also, getting fucking, what was it, Steven Spielberg or something to produce your band's fucking six-part promotional <laughs> documentary series? I don't know, man. It was like his fucking eighth album. Like, nobody likes a band 
so much on their eighth album that it requires a six-part miniseries. <laughs> that shit, like, you do that the first couple years of a band when nobody gives a fuck about you. You shelve all the footage, and then maybe in, in enough years that, like, you know, when you're on that sixth album and you're like, man, people will really give a shit about a six-part miniseries about us. Well, at least a three-part compilation of the footage you recorded during your first record. <laughs> like, nobody wants to hear. That's why nobody, when you go and see old bands in concert, nobody's like, yeah, play the new one. You know, like, at least not fucking, you know, if you're like a Foo Fighters band, if you're like a metal band or somebody who's doing creative shit, that's different. Yeah, yeah but like, totally. Foo Fighters is fucking not going to all of a sudden come out and be like, all right, album six, we're really flipping the script. They're the fucking Foo Fighters. Yeah, they, they, <laughs> they, they should be giving away a pair of Dockers with uh, each record. You know what I mean? They're just like the most generic, like middle of the road, basic thing I've ever heard, really. And and I know a lot of people that I would be uh, that surprised me that they actually like that band. Yeah, and I I have no problem with like radio. I love radio rock. It's not yeah, even that I don't no, have a problem with yeah, it. Totally. Like uh, I, one of my favorite records right now is Razorblade Suitcase by Bush. Uh, like I cannot stop listening to that record, um, but like, man, you want to talk about two records that were released around the same time that have had very different impact? It's like that er that first Foo Fighter record. I think it's called like One by One, and Bush Razorblade Suitcase. Oh man, like right at the end of grunge, two very different takes on what post grunge would be is like Foo Fighters coming out with this very like stadium big sounding uh you know springy music whereas Bush was like all right we're going to take all of the kind of structure that comes with the the grunge thing um and we're going to just make it our own. Like Steve Albini did this amazing uh, essay on the, in, on the liner notes of the reissue where they just talk about, you know, it could have been, it could have been anybody, but it happened to be, you know, this, this very pretty looking four piece. And I think because Gavin, you know, because Gavin Rossdale was pretty, everybody hated on him. But like, if he was just a normal if he looked like anybody else from Seattle and not some pretty Australian guy, or I think he's British, but pretty dude with an accent, um, you know, he wouldn't have, he it wouldn't have gotten the hate it did. Um, but yeah, what a fucking record. And then, you know, then you have Dave Grohl and fucking Foo Fighters and Monkey Wrench, you know, like God, why did we choose why did we choose that band you know to be the stadium band and bush is like only playing you know five dates in america it's a fucking trav it's it's, it's, a, it's a real travesty yeah i mean i i agree like, i i i think that it's you know that the foo fighters are a very ridiculous band really and uh 
you know, I, I get such chills whenever I see Dave Grohl at this point on, tele, on <laughs> yeah. television or anywhere, you know, and pictures of him or, you know, it shows up on some documentary, you know. He's got the worst fucking facial hair. Like, <laughs> what? Someone with so much money shouldn't look so fucking greasy all the time. Like, like he, it, it, I don't understand. There were pictures of him on red carpets where he still looks like, I don't know, he, he just looks fucking ill manicured. It's like, I, if I've seen like movie stars who, have to look homeless and i've seen like the if they can make the dudes from mastodon look like they belong in some fucking grooming commercial <laughs> surely there's somebody who can do something with dave Grohl's fucking face but nobody does nobody does anyway <laughs> i feel like we've been talking about dave Grohl for like for like, like an hour maybe <laughs> nah. Uh, the majority of this podcast is just fuck Dave Grohl. <laughs> yeah. Well, you guys have some gigs coming up, right? You got some shows coming up. Yeah. Um, we are playing Vitus. Um, and uh, like our last couple gigs were with Expander, but other than Expander, we didn't have much. Uh, like, I wasn't super hands-on with booking. And these shows I'm a little bit more hands-on with, at least. Uh, the Philly show is Us in Anatomy, which is super cool. That's Jenna, who plays bass in Uniform and in Portrayal of Guilt and in a bunch of other bands. Um, and then, uh, let's see, for Vitus, it's... Us with Kill Alters, who that's members of Black Dice. Oh, okay. Um, and Picture Plane, who is like one of the godfathers of Witch House and one of my favorite projects. Um, so and uh, Trace Amount is DJ. Oh, wow. So, what are the dates? Because uh, this this will be up before I, I remember you told me the dates, but for everyone who was listening, and that's in oh, yeah. Philly or the New York metropolitan area yeah those are the 21st is in philly 22nd is in vitus and then we have two shows with wake um one in quebec city and the other one is in montreal um and that's in the 23rd and 24th and that's with wake and bleeding out and i have not ever played in canada before so i'm really excited that's awesome yeah and that's in july okay cool yeah, that's in July, and then um, hopefully we can get some gigs booked up with y'all because that would be really, really sick. That would be great, man, and uh, I would totally be stoked to do that. And we should talk about all that, and I think it'd be real fun because, um, yeah, you know, like I, I really, you know, appreciate the you guys, and there's there even though we're different, there's similarities. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, and and like, man, like I. I'm a pretty honest person. I can't fucking deal with like three metal bands in a row on a gig that sound even remotely similar. I'm like, my attention span is so fucking short. So the idea of like bands that have a connecting thread, but sound different is like so much more exciting of a package. That's why like we, we took our last tour was with expander 
who's like another kind of like mind melding genre bending metal band where it's like on paper we we wouldn't it wouldn't be like oh yeah let's throw those two bands together but like when you talk about what a really exciting fun bill to go to is it's like oh man us two was just like just fun and i think that's that's what i i could see like uh, a bill with us two being like it's just fun like i don't i don't care about if things work like musically because ultimately people show up and they have a good time and you know he maybe they you know maybe they are not somebody who like is always listening to metal like you said like when you got into the car you weren't listening to bands that sounded exactly like the bands you just got off stage with um and i think that's the beautiful thing now with like this new kind of mindset about touring because i remember being younger and it was like well you can't book a doom band with a death metal band what will the death metal kids think you know and now it's like yeah let's fucking throw mask and tombs together and let's go out on the road and you know people will come out like right the 200 stab wounds tour with fearing just happened and um that was a fucking huge success and i know gate creeper just went on tour with i think fearing as well yeah fearing so, is another band i really enjoy too they're, they're a great band god they're so good fearing and death bells um are you familiar with death bells death bells no i should check that out yeah death bells is like their death bells is one of my favorite currently active post-punk bands okay. um and death bells and then i i don't know if dark blue is active still but are you familiar with them no no i'm not familiar with them at all so dark blue is one of the biggest inspirations for us in mass um, okay. Okay. John John Sharkey, uh, who was in Clock Cleaner, and um, Andy Nelson from Ceremony is oh, in it. Okay, um, and it's just just amazing, amazing music. Jeff, who produced uh, Despair Anthems, produced all their stuff. Yeah, um, it's in, and he produced Winter Long. Um, yeah, it, it's just like Dark Blue is playing in a few days in New York. Oh. And I've been like really tempted to just come up and take the trip and bite the bullet and get a hotel room because it's like they never play. Um, but yeah, like fearing, like yeah, Death Bells, fearing, uh, Dark Blue. Those are my like big suggestions. And the Infinity Ring, um, big suggestions for like folks who are doing great things in post punk right now and post punk air quotes, you know. Whatever the whatever the the word is for like dark music now that isn't you know metal but is riff adjacent. <laughs> riff adjacent, I like that. <laughs> like yeah, we're like riff adjacent. I know that there's riffs and there's there's definitely riffs. Like Ryan plays guitar on Despair Anthems and I believe on Winterlong, so there's definitely riffs. I don't think it's possible for them to make music without riffs. But like, I don't know. I, I don't. We're not like the the goal is not to be um, 
out uh, uh, aggressive musically, I guess just aggressive emotionally. <laughs> makes it sound makes it sound like an emo band, but yeah, like we want to we want to. You, you got you guys sound that. like you're you're that's that's kind of like this uh, almost um, <laughs> toxically male. Uh, you know, kind of <laughs> regressive emotionally, you know, like, yeah, exactly. I, I like exactly. We're trying to be, I, I, I want to bring that toxic male energy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I got to stop talking before I get myself canceled. Um, but yeah, no, that that's like, I think ultimately like coming from a world where I was making such like harsh music, um, making music that isn't that is diametrically not harsh um that's just like maybe riffy um is as harsh as it would get but like i don't know on stage it's a very different story on stage it's just huge amps and you can't get away from the noise thing but i don't know i i like the fact that on on record and uh, in in spirit, we're not trying to bring that kind of overt aggression. But I don't know. Hopefully, well, you'll see. When you see us live, you'll see that like we're more about the big waves of like if, you know how like my bloody Valentine were in the eighties. Yeah, yeah. Where it's like let's fucking make big giant washes of sound in between songs and you know let's bring up the crescendos to a point where they're like physically uh present you know that that's more the intensity that like we try and bring live and i think that's why i don't know i i guess that's why we work more at least for me and my, uh, you know at, with metal than like well i would love to be able to go out there and play like ten thousand cat venues like fucking indie bands um because god knows that you know those dudes get fucking hotel rooms where like really comfortable pillow top mattresses <laughs> at least at least that's what i think um you know like the dudes who get to play like whatever late show isn't like the big top tier late show, but like, like Seth Myers, they get to play like Seth. My, I want to be like, I've always wanted to be like an indie band that gets to play like Seth Myers. But unfortunately, like I'm too committed to playing loud, dissonant bullshit, even if it's like pretty on record. So, uh, you know, I think we'll always work better. Um, because, you know, at our core, we are just, you know, like folks, like we're like metal people, you know, punk, uh, punk, metal, whatever it's called. Like we like big amps playing loud and not really giving a fuck, even though the music doesn't really, uh, it, it isn't like metal overtly. I'm intrigued, man. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to that show next month. And, uh, yeah, I'm definitely going to be there at the the St. Vitus show for sure. Dude, I'm looking forward to seeing you. I'm yeah. looking forward oh, to yeah. to meeting you in person. Yeah, a, fuck yeah, dude. And uh, that Dark Blue show is at one of my favorite new venues in New York City, TVI. Yes, yeah. it's run by Jasper 
who um, I believe Jasper was in the band called Cult of Youth, who is an amazing New York um, uh, neo-folk band. Yeah. And they, they released stuff on Sacred Bones. So That's another yeah. great label, too, Sacred Bones. Yeah, and also, um, from what I know, TVI has all of its art done by uh, Alexander Eyre, Death Traders. So it's like a double whammy of cool shit. So yeah, I, I need to. I actually need to check out TVI. It seems like the coolest fucking place. So yeah, anyone who's intrigued by this show that we're talking about, that's July seventh at TVI, and I think technically that's in Queens, maybe. But uh, I, I went there once. I saw Bambara play there once, like last year, and uh, I was like TVI. I never heard of it, but then I found out, and it was like far enough out of town where like not out of town but far enough into the borough where it's not you can actually park i parked right in front of the venue it's crazy oh wow yeah and um yeah it's in ridgewood which is queens that that's where it is and um beautiful venue uh you know not not too big it's like maybe uh 250 maybe capacity oh wow yeah it's it's fairly small actually and um Really cool vibe. Like the front room is a bar. There's all this cool artwork, you know, hung up there. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's a good spot. Dude, I I feel like you know New York has some, still has some really really great like venues. Even if these venues like only exist for short amounts of time, it's like these bursts of like cultural greatness it's like i don't know i i grew up my dad was like a true blue new yorker like a he did all the merchandising for cbs oh so yeah like when i was a kid i got to go to cbs and and all that so it's like you know i i kind of got to understand new york through like how he explained it and when i got old enough to kind of move to the city it was such a different it was post 9-11 you know like rent had gotten kind of insane um and it was you know every when i was a kid it was like you can't go below 40 like 48th street and now it's like you can't smoke on a subway platform yeah so it was like what what is new york you know what how what is you know what is the city and over the past few years it's like i guess it's started building back up these kind of really wonderful places like tvi that you know i because i just missed like abc no rio oh right you know like i i had just gotten to you know new york as the vice offices were sweeping through and taking over brooklyn so it was like i didn't get to experience any of that like that part of new york um yeah yeah that's now i'm getting like all nostalgic about that like i mean some of some of tombs earliest shows was at abc no rio which is kind of funny to think about that and uh there used to be this excellent venue where vice's offices are now called um uh death by audio death by audio yeah yeah that place is great i i I remember like 
in the early days of YouTube watching videos that were shot on like fucking shitty Nokia flip phones yep. at Death by Audio yeah. and thinking like, man, I can't wait to go to these crazy New York City warehouse shows. And then they just weren't there. And it's like, yeah, man, that was that was ABC No Rio and Death by Audio were places that uh, we played a lot. I mean, and I had like a pretty good relationship with the guy who booked like our type, like all kinds of shows happened there. But this one particular guy booked like Wolves in the Throne Room. Uh, he booked us, and we, you know, after a while, we just like would talk to him, and we would put a bill together of you know mostly local bands or maybe some out of town bands that were friends and really really just good vibes and like you know people showed up and it was fun and it was like kind of wild because it wasn't really a venue it was just a room you know and they sold beer out of like a bucket somewhere it was like you know very very uh you know very had this clandestine sort of vibe to it which i really appreciated it sounds like the new york that was explained to me as a kid <laughs> but like that was more what I mean is like, you know, I got, I got to college and that was gone. Yeah. And it was like, man, what, what is New York for this generation? And like, during that period, I moved to Los Angeles and fortunately, like, they were having their own kind of little uh, movement scene thing with the theaters and stuff. And I got to be part of that that com kind of community while it was around helped out with a lot of like the cine family stuff. And, you know, I, I came to New York and I got to see, you know, Vitus kind of explode and become the new CBs. Um, and it's great. You know, everybody from around the world knows Vitus. Yes, absolutely. It's, yeah. It's like, you know, it truly is the CBGBs of our generation, you know, but like beyond that, it was very much like hard, I guess, hard to book in New York. It was hard to like find where to do stuff that wasn't, you know, indie shows like baby's all right. Um, so having TVI open up and be so fucking cool. It's like, wow, there's, going to be more little things that you know i guess really sh shine a light on this culture like i was talking to somebody about how they were like what happened in the 2010s where all these bands were in movies and uh you know it was like it was like there was some sort of infrastructure and I was like, yeah, you mean like it died around right around the time that Scion Rockfest stopped oh, yeah. happening yeah. and Red Bull Music Academy stopped happening. And like, but for a minute there, the rest of the world, you know, like somebody outside of the fucking six labels that ultimately have you know, the financial control came in and they were like, yeah, you know, we'll put money into art and this culture. And like, you know, that was a wonderful time. That was like, you know, I remember the craziest gigs and uh, things that couldn't have 
they couldn't have happened. Like Merzbau in Chicago, where in, in giant warehouses. Some some of the bands now that are like huge got their start at these Red Bull Music Academy shows or these Scion shows. Um, I, I'm convinced that High on Fire wouldn't have the profile they currently have if they were if it weren't for like the support of Scion stuff like that. So it's like, and we I don't think we would have had that sleep reunion if it weren't for Scion. Definitely if it weren't for like Third Man and Jack White. So it's it all comes down to like, yeah, we are we're all in love with this culture you know you clearly have dedicated your life to it yeah i've dedicated my life to it um but like we're only able to do so much because we're just the creators we're not money people we have no when you're running your own ship it's a lot different than when you're a cog in somebody else's much larger ship. And it's like the profit margin on selling records is very different than the profit margin on selling fucking cars or, you know, energy drinks or whatever. And it's like, you know, uh, the ability to choose whether or not you want to spend the fucking six hours of your day that you've dedicated to this culture you love doing, you know, the hustling of booking and making sure the promoting is done right, making sure the sound is good, making sure the bill, the bill is curated and everybody gets paid well. Or would you rather just fucking like do it and wear some nice, comfortable scion socks, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like, like oh man those socks those socks were pretty nice actually yeah i remember those that's what i mean it's like you know i think i remember during the that period of like people were upset like oh bands are selling out and it's like no bands are getting paid <laughs> like and i think that's uh that further than just getting paid it's it's what you're doing in terms of what you're getting paid for and it's not you're not getting paid for the performance you're getting paid to be culturally relevant to be important enough to be uh, a part of this larger thing that we all fucking you know have to deal with every day that is like capitalism and the cars outside and the fucking you know like the fucking food that we have to eat that ultimately has to get trucked from place to place and you know manufactured in a factory and shit like that like we we're not just like doing this and then also living in the world around us it's like no now we're a part of that kind of global thing that is, you know, cars and energy drinks and fucking, you know, Toyota. <laughs> like, and that's cool. It means it's like fucking, you know, when KMFDM got put in Mortal Kombat soundtrack and, you know, industrial kids were like, how, 
how could they do that? They're selling out. And it's like, no, what they're doing is they're exposing the genre to the fucking rest of the world. And it's like, but when, when we don't have that, which we, we don't, like, Scion's gone and... Red Bull is not putting its money into anything that isn't jumping off of a fucking cliff, you know? <laughs> and I swear, if anybody from Red Bull is listening, we will play after, you know, like, in a space shuttle. We'll play underwater. We'll play wherever the fuck you want. Just book us someplace weird uh, and pay us to do it. We'll fucking do some wacky stunt. Like, like but but on the real, like, that's not happening. So it's like, you know, we're going to continue to work as hard as we can, but it's, it's never going to be the same as when we have like the big machine backing us. Um, so I think like, that's, that's kind of the, the bummer for me is like, you know, that era where it was like ABC, no Rio and you know death by audio and the red bull music academy and all that stuff it was so fucking creatively beautiful and right now we're at this point where we don't have any of that infrastructure all we have is the a bunch of musicians with the desire to do something that's somewhat different than what's been done before and like I think that's enough. I think, I think that, you know, we've seen through, you know, promoters just being open-minded and, sh you know, taking the risk and then realizing it works. Um, the, you know, bands like mask and fearing and infinity ring. And, you know, like we don't just belong in indie shows and we don't just belong at post-punk shows or at goth clubs and you know we belong wherever the fuck we want to be and like i think that as time progresses um especially as we saw the late 2010s be dominated with a lot of like os fill in the blank worship um you know osdm os doom original whatever you know revival music it's like we're going to start seeing stuff that just sounds alien, like, you know, Mothcock and Machine Girl and stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that's what I'm looking forward to because the, the old school vibe, the revival stuff has never been something I was ever really into. I mean, you know, I, I dig it when a band has like some riffs that you're like, okay, this sounds like entombed a little bit, but they're throwing another thing in there to make it interesting, you know, but... You know, there are bands that just literally sound like they came from the early 90s, you know, and I'm just like, man, it's like, don't you want to do something a little bit different, you know? Yeah, it's. It, I mean, I always thought it was weird because, you know, I'm 33, so, like, from my understanding, it's like, well, in the early 90s, there were a zillion bands that didn't record records that probably sounded like better versions of 90s revival shit that's coming out today. And it's like, if that shit wouldn't have hacked it in 96, why are people like, is it, is it like a, because you can situation? <laughs> it's like you can, but must you 
like do we have don't we have enough 90s revival 80s revival stuff i mean i guess i guess we don't because it sells but like i i'm totally there with you it's like you know that desire to do something different is always going to drive us like i'll i'll leave you with this like the new mass record we're writing we have uh, a week booked at the uh, at Strawberry Studios in France. Um, I believe that that is a haunted studio, but like not haunted in like a spooky way. But like I believe that there is something in that studio that creates. I don't know. It's like a Genesis spirit. Chopin lived there. Um, but Staying Alive was recorded there. Fleetwood Mac recorded there. Can recorded there. Obscured by Clouds by Pink Floyd was recorded there. Um, Honky Chateau was written about the Chateau. Um, you know, like Rocket Man was recorded there. Uh, Iggy Pop and David Bowie's The Idiot was recorded oh, there. One of my favorite records, actually. Yeah, I mean, like, China Girl was written about the Chateau, and the kick drum sound on Nightclub was the drum beat on Closer by Nine Inch Nails. So it's like, that's, that's a lot of, you know, Genesis right there, like Krautrock, post-punk, industrial, disco, all stemming from this one room. Um, so... I, I was like, we gotta, we gotta record here, and I was very fortunate because I'm a nerd. I followed the the studio from being in disrepair to being taken over by new owners to being like one of the first people to have uh, studio time booked there. I believe like currently it's impossible to get booked again, but like Sparks were just there and stuff like that. Um, there's an amazing video, like one of the first band or first musical groups acts to record their sting and shaggy. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought it, it's, it's very, very French. Like, like who will we have? Oh, uh, let's get sting and shaggy to perform. It wasn't me to break in this legendary studio. Uh, <laughs> but like, yeah, I mean, we're going to record there. Um, and we have a week there and despair anthems was recorded in four days <laughs> and, uh, winter long was recorded in three days. So a week is longer than I've ever had in a studio in my life to just record, um, in the fact that it's a giant haunted castle makes it even cooler. So it's like the next record is definitely not going to be anything like anything I've ever done. Um, anything like we've ever recorded and hopefully it won't be like anything that, you know, is like, you know, out there. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully we don't like end up coming out there with like a total, revival record and i'm like yo can we delete like this whole podcast <laughs> <laughs> when, when are you uh when are you guys going out there to do this 
We don't know. Um, so basically, I need to get a European booking agent because we were working with Doomstar, but then our agent left Doomstar, so we don't have a booking agent anymore. Um, but like, I'm hoping that we could like play Europe, and that if we play Europe, we can do the, you know. Yeah, no, the cake. <laughs> but like, if not, then we're gonna have to. I don't know. We're gonna have to get hit by a Walmart truck or something. <laughs> fat settlement, like Tracy Morgan, right around the throne, Dave Grohl style. <laughs> well, uh, keep me in the loop on that, man. Maybe after you record this record, you can come back and talk about it on this. That'd be, that'd be fun. Dude, absolutely. Like, I I would love to, you know, once we even have demos, like, uh, I'll, you'll be one of the first people to hear them. Oh, dude, I, I, that's, that's, that's really cool. I appreciate that. Dude, no problem. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on your fucking show, man. This is cool. Hell yeah, man. So, uh, yeah, that was uh, awesome talking. And uh, once again, just throw those dates out for people in the area. You know, just yeah. to, you know what the July dates you got uh, coming up, so they they know what to do in the coming weeks. So um, July twenty first, we're at Yuck Yucks Comedy Club. No, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're at uh, Ortlieb's in Philadelphia, and then twenty uh, second, we're at St. Vitus in New York, and then I think the twenty third. We're in Quebec City, and then the twenty fourth, we're in Montreal, or we're the twenty, we're in Montreal on the twenty third, and we're in Quebec City on the twenty fourth. I do not know off the top of my head. <laughs> I, I I feel you, man. I sometimes the same thing happens to me. I'll be in Canada though, but <laughs> like that's for sure. I'll be in Canada unless the people of the Canadian. Uh, border or like you can't come to Canada in which case I won't be in Canada but the plan is to be in Canada it's actually real easy to get into Canada right now really yeah I we anticipated so many problems crossing the border and we had zero problems it was just you know they didn't even look at our paperwork for the um you know there's like that invite letter that you allegedly you need I didn't show anything to anybody you know, they, they just Whoa. let us in the country. That's, I really hope that that happens with us because, yeah, I, I haven't been to Canada and I've heard all these crazy stories about how they hold you up at the border and nah, it's nah. like they really don't want people who aren't from Canada being in Canada. The only, as long as no one has like a criminal record because they, drugs are legal in Canada, right? At the, you know, as of some point in the past they made drugs legal in canada so that's pretty all all you have to do is like declare that you have some of these substances on 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 you and uh, that's sick yeah it's uh i'm i've only done one illegal thing that i feel like i would ever get stopped at the border for and it's i went on a cruise ship in in california after they legalized marijuana and I went on with some pot brownies, mm-hmm. and then I—I uh, I guess I didn't eat all the brownies on the trip. And as I was coming off the fucking cruise ship, uh, one of the like border patrol guys pulls me aside, and they fucking 
go through my bag and they like strip search me and then oh, they man. go <laughs> yeah they don't find anything but then they go through my bag and they're like does this they're like what is this and i was like it's a brownie they're like does it have pot in it and i was like yeah isn't pot legal and they were like yes it is but it's not legal in international waters so oh, like, technically they're like true. technically you just smuggled drugs into mexico and then back into america and i was like i thought that weed was legal um so they gave me like a 500 dollars fine which was pretty uh pretty not bad considering i'm like technically an international drug smuggler <laughs> so uh yeah that would be the only thing but like even then i feel like you know if they were like can you explain this international drug smuggling charge and it would be like well you see i took a day cruise to cozumel and i didn't eat the last quarter of my pot brownie um i can't imagine a canadian border guard is going to be like well fucking clearly you're like you're a menace <laughs> yeah it's just um it's just felonies are after really i mean if you're like a, oh. a murderer or like some kind of like you know, a guy who's like breaks into liquor stores or something. They don't want people like that in the country. Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I, I don't have any sort of felony record. I just I'm too stupid to fucking too stupid to get pot back into California. <laughs> get pot brownies into California. Uh, but other than that, yeah, I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure if that's the case, then we'll be. We'll be fine, and then we'll be able to play for. We'll be able to play for the fine people of Quebec City, um, and hopefully, I'll be able to not butcher "hello" in French, um, because that's the, apparently they they're like mostly French speaking, and yes. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, Quebec City is very. Yeah, they they're they're like even more brutal about French than the French are. Like at least. Um, like in in France, if you know a little bit of French, they'll give you the opportunity to speak French over in, in France. If you speak a little bit of French in Quebec, and they don't like your accent, they just switch to English and shut you down immediately. <laughs> I'm I'm just gonna like speak English, yeah. and hopefully they don't just shut me down yeah. just in general. Like I. Uh, Cause like I, I don't know I don't know any other languages other than like English and like Rosetta Stone level one French, like like I know oof is egg, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like like sh is cat, um and yeah you know like basically the like Donde es de la biblioteca, you know but <laughs> like fucking French. <laughs> Like I, I will very likely go up there and be like, hola, Quebec City, and see how quickly the fucking room clears out. Because that's really, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I don't know any other language. But apparently the rest of the band is like learning like basic French. So this is going to be real fun. Yeah, you, you, got, you guys will be all right, definitely. I'm, I'm going to be the only one who won't be able to order a fucking beer on tour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Montreal is great. Montreal is probably my favorite city in Canada. I love, I love Montreal. Dude, I'm so excited. I've never, like, I've never been to Montreal. I think I was in like Vancouver for an hour as a kid. 
Vancouver's cool, but I, I, I have to say I prefer Montreal. Like I it's just it's just the city is like so cool and the people there are cool and you know, they they enjoy uh stuff that we, you know, collectively you and I are into and I, that's why I like that city so much. Dude, I can't fucking wait. Dude, this was so great talking to you, but I have to hop off the phone. Yeah, man. Um, dude, uh, let's catch up off uh, off the uh, off the podcast line about some gigs. Hell yeah! And uh, I will catch you soon. Take care, man. Have a good night.
You bet.